With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. We've reached the point in time in the summer. Dace and I record this on July 2nd, 2017, which means Steve has done the majority of the heavy lifting for his annual college football preview. And this also means that the first thing I like to do when Steve drops the preview is to go over his crystal ball predictions. And Steve, for the uninitiated, let them know what these are. So I started doing this um, almost 10 years ago. Well, not the preview I've been doing, as I've talked before, since I was a sophomore in high school. So since 1988. But um, about 10 years ago, I started doing uh, a crystal ball. And I wanted to do like my own version of news and notes, like a lot of the major publications have, you know, in the opening few pages of their preseason magazines. Yeah. So I, I came up with this idea of doing a crystal ball where I would predict 25 things that would or would not happen during the course of the upcoming college football season. And the very first year I did this, I made a prediction. Um, or one of the, well, the whole thing's predictions. One of the predictions I made is that Tennessee would fire Phil Fulmer and replace him with Oakland Raiders assistant coach Lane Kiffin. And that ended up happening at the end of the year. And frankly, you and a few other people were so damned impressed that I got that right that I've just decided I'm going to do it every year since then. And I, I, I haven't come close to, to duplicating that feat, but I will get, in a good year, I may get about half of these right, which isn't that bad. The former Kiffin prediction, that is like hitting the trifecta. Uh, you're sitting down at the track, hitting the trifecta, and then going back to the window and doing it again in the next race and hitting that one. So that's, I mean, that was a legendary call. And it, you use it in the example every year, and I'm glad you do because it's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, and maybe it's maybe it's not fair to lament that I haven't equaled that feat. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, is Frank Capra upset that, that every film he made after It's a Wonderful Life wasn't as good as that one? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know? yes, I, I I don't know. That movie didn't have the box office resonation, but yes, I get what you're saying. There's got to be something, you know, you know, like uh, you know, Brett Saber. I mean, the Beatles him. can't do every song the Beatles do can't be Hey Jude or right. Revolution, right? I mean, right. There's got to be a Blackbird in there somewhere, right? You know what I'm saying? So. That's still a great song, but, you know, that's not a vintage classic. So I guess that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. I, Blackbird, I would take over Hey Jude, but I get what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's let's do a couple things real quick before we dive into this year's crystal ball. I pulled up last year's crystal ball really quick, 
And I'm just going to read through some of these pretty quickly. Stop me and interject if you want to, you know, pontificate longer. Um, last year, because it, it's fun. That I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not looking to get over on you. I haven't read. No, any... we do a reconciliation every year yeah. when we get to the end of the year. We always do a reconciliation on how I did on these. Yeah, this is just year. more of a refresher. Okay, yeah. uh, this again, this is Steve Dace's crystal ball from 2016, so a year ago when we did this, a year ago, July. Uh, for the second straight year, the champion of the Pac-12 will be left out of the college football playoff. Yeah, I got that wrong. Um, Boise State, not the much hype, more hype. Houston will be the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team at the end of the year. Who, who wound up being that? That was um, from um, uh, Western Michigan. It was Western Michigan, so I got that half right. Yeah, that Houston was not going to be the non-power yes, five did. team. I got, I got right. that part of it, that part of it right. Okay, uh, Eastern Michigan will snap the nation's longest conference losing streak against Miami of Ohio on October 29th. I don't recall if that happened or not. That actually did. That that they actually snapped it before that and got to a bowl game last okay, year. Okay, so you get credit. Tom Herbin will defy the coaching carousel one more year in state. Houston, no. The demise of Baylor will give Charlie Strong another year to write the ship at Texas, no. But that was more so with Charlie Strong. Um, Mike Gundy will be coaching in the SEC next season, either Texas A&M or Auburn, not yet. Dana Holgerson will be fired at West Virginia, replaced by Rich Rodriguez, who will make a homecoming to Morgantown. That right there was your former Kiffin. I'm guessing every year yep. you, you, you try to pull off a triple Lindy type prediction. Yeah, and there's there's going to be one in this year's. You'll see. Yes, <laughs> uh, this will be Bill Snyder's final season as a college football head coach. After watching what he said a few weeks ago, maybe it should have been. Um, after losing four games in a season, only once from '69 to 2001, Nebraska will lose at least four games for the 13th straight year. Nailed that. Uh, Notre Dame will post double-digit victories in consecutive seasons for the first time in 23 years. Did not happen. Can uh, you st- stop for? Can you believe Notre? That now it's 24 seasons. Yep. Yep. Can you believe Notre Dame has not posted double-digit wins no. in consecutive years in tw- in a quarter century, no. John? No. In a quarter century. No. And if you would have nuts, if you could go back in time to a sports bar in South Bend 25 years ago and tell them, "Hey guys, get ready, you're not going to have back to back to back double-digit wins for the next 24, 25 years," everyone would have laughed in your face, including young Steve mm-hmm. Dace. Yes. Yep. Very much so. Uh, five of the top seven teams in the regular season final rankings will be from the SEC and the ACC. I don't have that handy, but it was probably pretty close. I mean, Alabama, Clemson, um, was Florida State there? Um, uh, no. What happened is no other team in the SEC won more than that's eight right. regular season games. That's right. So I missed that. Missed that. Yeah. Uh, Michigan State will fail to win at least 11 games for only the second time in the past seven seasons. Uh, yeah, you got that one with some room to spare. Only one Big 12 team will finish the regular season. By the season. way, John, there I looked it up. Michigan State's eight-game slide last year. Yes. It, in, in, in reliable records I could find, that is the biggest one-year slide by a Power 5 conference team since Louisville in 1962 but in 1962, Louisville was in the Missouri Valley Conference. I, I couldn't find anything going back further than that that was reliable from season to season. And found, I, I found several teams that had had six-game slides, a few that had seven-game slides. But I had to go back to Louisville in the Missouri Valley Conference in 1962 to find a Power 5 conference team that from one year to the next had an eight-game slide. Hmm. That's pretty incredible. Um, only one team in the Big 12 will finish the regular season with double-digit wins. 
No, Oklahoma State won ten games right. again. No, they won nine in the regular season. Actually, well, they they count that one. They count that one win uh, from early in the season. I think they even had rings that basically. Ignore, yes. So I think I, I think I did get that right. Yeah. Um, Georgia won fewer games without Mark Rick this year than it did with him last season. That's true. They won nine his last year. Heisman Trophy finalists: Leonard Fournette, Baker Mayfield, yeah. Christian McCaffrey, and Deshaun Watson. Got Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two out of four ain't bad. Meatloaf used to sing. Christian McCaffrey would be the first Stanford player to win the Heisman Trophy since Jim Plunkett did not. He was nicked up. Tennessee will reach double-digit wins in the regular season for the first time since it did since it fired Phil Fulmer, and they did not. That was a very disappointing season. Tennessee was everybody's uh, you know love affair preseason last year, and they just did not live up to it. Um, Michigan will win 12 games for only the second time in school history. Iowa helped that not happen. Oklahoma and Clemson will be the only repeat Power 5 conference champions. No, Alabama repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now we're getting into the weeds on some things that just had a lot of uh, variables in it. So, not too bad. Always fun to go back down memory lane. Now, let's turn the corner, turn the page, rather. And get to the uh, 2017 Steve Dace College Football Crystal Ball predictions. And right off the top, predicting the top 25 things that will or won't happen this season. Number one, and I have not read any of these. For the first time ever, a two-loss team will make the college football playoff. You've been saying this now for months on end. Yeah, I don't know how it's avoidable. Um, because I, I think it's pretty wide open. I think talent-wise, Alabama is as loaded as they've ever been. Um, they've lost a ton on defense, but, I mean, they've just had seven consecutive number one recruiting classes, you know, and there are guys waiting to play like Deshaun Hand and Ben Davis and Ronnie Harrison. I mean, these are names that if you follow recruiting coverage on National Signing Day, these were everybody's All-Americans. Um Offensively, I think they're as loaded as they've been in the whole Saban era. I don't think this is his best offensive line, but it'll be pretty good. But the collective skill position talent, um, I don't know that I can remember in my lifetime a team with as many good running backs as they have. I mean, I, I don't know. Najee Harris, people were comparing him, the top high school player in the country last year, to Adrian Peterson. I don't know where he plays, given the guys they have coming back. So... Um, I think they're loaded. And then after that, I, I think it's pretty wide open. Uh, I, I like, you know, Ohio State obviously has recruited very well. They have a senior quarterback back, but they don't really have a downfield passing game. Um, tell me who the skill position player is that, that JT Barrett either hands the ball off to or throws it to, John. That you're thinking right now, boy, I, that guy scares me every time he has the ball. Well, yeah, he's not a household name yet, which is a little bit surprising. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they have them on there, but we don't know who it is yet. Florida State, have you looked at their schedule? No. Now, all of last year, when everybody had Florida State, when a lot of people were picking Florida State to play for the national championship, Jimbo Fisher was telling everybody last year that this year's team would be his national championship team. And I like their personnel a lot. I still don't think they're great on the offensive line. But I think, other than offensive line, I think they're equal to Alabama everywhere else. But but the problem is their schedule. They, they play Alabama, Clemson, and Florida. 
all three of their toughest games away from Tallahassee. You know, winning two of those is a pretty good year. You're not going to win them all. Um, and I can just go right on down the line. I think after those few teams, I think we're dealing with a, a lot of teams that have a lot of turnover and or fatal flaws. So I'm not just going to I, – in fact, when we get to my final predictions here in the next week or two, you're going to see that I think two, two lost teams make the playoffs. Hmm. Going on to number two, no FBS team will finish undefeated this season. And you could just almost see the way it's setting up at the end of the year, too, with um, Ohio State and Alabama, the preseason top two teams in the country, both play on the road at their big in-state rivals. Um, and, and there's some other there's enough games elsewhere on their schedules. I don't see anybody running the table. And keep this in mind, even though Saban's won five national championships, only one of those teams, either at LSU or Alabama, only one of those teams went undefeated. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't have Ohio State's schedule in front of me. I, I know that they played at Penn State last year, so I'm assuming they host them this year. Um, and that's a ranked team on their schedule. They don't play Wisconsin. I don't know that there's any other Big Ten team on their schedule that they will play that will be ranked with the exception of maybe Michigan in the regular season finale. And, of course, they host Oklahoma. So that definitely is a favorable schedule, at least from preseason expectations. Um, Texas will improve by at least 4.3 wins in Tom Herman's first season. Is that a typo? Four or three? I'm not sure which one you meant there. Nope, it's 4.3. That's exactly right. And the reason it's 4.3 is because I went back and looked at his record. As offensive coordinator at Iowa State his first year, they went from three wins to seven. As offensive coordinator at Ohio State, they went from six wins to 11. As head coach at Houston, they went from eight wins to 12. Average all that out, it's 4.3 wins a year in his very first year. And I think you'll see what was Texas's Texas record the last exact year? same thing. They were five and seven last year. Okay, so they have to go 10 and two for you to be right. Nine, well, or nine, nine games because four point three rounded off is actually four. Nope, but, Price is okay. right. Price is right. Rules four point three. <laughs> Remember when I told you and you laughed at me when Jim that I said they would win at least nine games in Harbaugh's first year. Remember you laughed at me when I said that. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to win at least nine games at Texas okay. his first year. Number four, Oklahoma will not play in the inaugural Big Twelve championship game. To me, I think this is simple math. First of all, I don't think they're that great on defense. And, of course, they're not that – they're in a a league that doesn't play much defense. But when you are recruiting so much better than the rest of that league and you're not great on defense, you sort of – you open your margin – or you open the margin for the teams beneath you to beat you. Because it is easier for them to beat you playing Sandlot football 38-35 – than to sit there physically and try and beat you 21 to 17. It's, it's easier to do that. And that's why you've seen the teams that run, that have the mobile quarterbacks and throw the ball over the yard have been the more inclined to beat Alabama and not the teams that, you know, play you in a phone booth physically where they have better guys. Secondly, you know, you want a stat that'll blow you away. Check this one out. Only once, not since 2004, actually. Not since 2004 had Bob Stoops had a season at Oklahoma. He lost fewer than two games. Not since 2004. Yeah. So you mean to tell me, so, you know, let's say they're a 10-2 team like they were last year. 
um, and the year before um, when they made the and then, well, they get second loss came the playoff is when they got their second loss then. So you mean to tell me they they hadn't had fewer than two losses in more than a decade with a guy who's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, a guy who in his career um, lost uh, fewer home games um, than I than than conference championships he won. Right. And you're going to turn around now with a, with a guy who three years ago was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina, hasn't been a head coach of Pop Warner football, and and he's going to manage to do better than that. I doubt it. Yeah, that's got to at least be one loss. No, the loss of Stoops has to be at least one, at least a one loss factor. And and I think the top of the Big Twelve this year is dramatically improved. And I think you know that one loss is enough to keep them out. Number five, Mark D'Antonio will, will quote-unquote retire as Michigan State football coach and be replaced by Pittsburgh coach Pat Narduzzi. I like that a lot. I think I, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't see this ending well. I don't. Um, and I think the problem that Sparty has is they, were, they had something rare going in that they were running a pro-style attack, but they still had a shtick. You know, normally when you've heard me say certain schools, certain coaches, because of where you at, you need a shtick, some kind of angle that separates you. And a lot of times we think that's style of play. And, you know, Iowa managed to create a shtick with, with, with a pro-style attack because of the Chris Doyle factor. And, and a lot of the, the stuff that they were doing in, in, in strength and conditioning that like every CrossFit unit in America does now. But in 1999, 2000, 2001... I mean, you know, guys were still lifting on machines, you know, flipping tires and all that stuff. People weren't doing that stuff back then. And that was sort of cutting edge. And that's how Iowa created that next man in mentality. Sparty's shtick was grabbing guys who were unheralded with chips on their shoulders and coaching them up and developing them into, into NFL players in several cases. Well, they've sort of lost that now. And I don't know how you build that back. In an era when, when you first built it, Ohio State was, you know, playing trestle ball. Michigan was about to begin a lost decade. Penn State was about to enter into maybe the ugliest chapter in the history of collegiate, intercollegiate football. You know, I, I, tell me where – I don't see their opening to do that again. I don't. I think it's toast. I think we're just – I think we're just marking time, and I think – I, th- I think you're going to see that at the end of the year. I don't disagree. And I think Narduzzi is the perfect replacement for them. And not sure that he'll be able to recreate what they had going, but uh, he's, he'd be the guy that I would go after were I then. Uh, number six, this will be Bill Snyder's final season as college football coach. Why, why do I feel like I've read that before? Yeah, but this time I'm pretty confident. Um, this time you're right. This time I'm pretty confident because – this is set up to be a swan song for him. The, the team he has, the makeup of the team he has, is what every successful, well, he's successful pretty much every year, but every really successful team he's had has looked like this. There's been a Michael Bishop, Colin Klein kind of a quarterback. He has that in Jesse Ertz. There's been a, um, a solid defense. Frankly, his program has probably played for all of his offensive wizardry, they've probably played the most consistent defense in this conference in the last 10 years. Um, and, and they just look the way 
that most of his best teams have looked. And it's a classic time for him to have a swan song to go out with a bang. And so that's why I think this will be it. Number seven, USC will be preseason top five, but will fail to make the college football playoff. You want another stat that will blow you away? Since 2007, USC has been preseason top five team three times. Only one of those seasons did they even finish in the top 20. That's amazing. Yeah, so I still don't trust Clay Helton. I think they caught lightning in a bottle with Sam Darnold. I don't think he even knew what he had. Remember, Clay Helton went through an entire offseason last year, then went through an entire four weeks of training camp and still decided to start Max Brown against Alabama in that opening game. And, and you can say, well, it was Alabama in the opening game. Max Brown was a five-star recruit. Don't want to throw a redshirt freshman in there against Nick Saban. Okay. Then he started Max Brown the next two games. <laughs> All right. Right, right. He started the first fourth of one. So you can't – now you're just telling me a guy just doesn't know what he has. I, and I think they went with Darnold because his ass was fired. They had new AD there in Lynn Swan. His ass was fired. You got to figure out, throw throw the young kid in, maybe a kid, and it worked. Beyond all of their wildest imaginations, it worked. And yet they still finished with three losses. Did you, did you know that USC last year was the first team to ever finish number three in the AP poll with three losses in the history of the AP poll? Hmm. No. So remember, they, they had three losses last year, and that was with the Dory Jackson. That was with Juju Schmidt-Schuster. Now, you know I love Sam Darnold. I said here on the podcast a month in to his reign at USC, I said on this podcast, he's going to be a number one overall pick in the NFL draft. You can just see it. But let's also keep this in mind. Nobody had any film on him last year. And in the course of a year, when you know a kid catches, catches fire like this, it's tough to really truly scout a kid like that in the course of a, of a season when you really have two to three days to prepare for a game. Well, now teams have had an entire offseason. So we'll see now, especially without uh, some of those guys that he had last year to throw to. Let, let's see how teams adjust to what he does. And I just, I don't believe Clay Helton is Pete Carroll. Um, I think he's more Ted Toldner. I think he's more Paul Hackett. Um, and those are guys that won a lot of games at USC, too, they weren't, because everybody wins a lot of games at USC. But those weren't elite coaches. And so I, I, I just think that um, they're going to disappoint, as they have numerous times in recent history. I mean, listen, we're not too many years away from them being preseason number one with everybody's All-American and Heisman Trophy favorite Matt Barkley. And that team went seven and six. So uh, we'll see. Going on to number eight, Kevin Sumlin will be fired at Texas A&M and replaced by North Carolina coach Larry Fedora. Yeah, I know a lot of people are talking about Chip Kelly down there. I don't think there's any any way Chip Kelly is going to take a job for any amount of money to get his head caved in by Nick Saban, which is what would happen to you at A&M and the SEC West. No way. Um, And we'll get to Chip where I think Chip Kelly's going to end up here soon. But I don't think Chip Kelly will get to anywhere in the SEC because that's not where his recruiting base is. Not to mention, again, you run into Nick Saban. You run into Kirby Smart, who's building a behemoth down at Georgia, where last year or last May they had more players from their state taking an NFL draft than any other. Uh, I don't I don't see that at all. And, and A&M is in the position that LSU was in last year, where they are a top 10, 15 job in America. 
they've spent like a half billion on football facilities in the last few years. But until Nick Saban goes away or shows any signs of slippage, you know, you're 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 essentially as a coach signing up for a job where if you go eight and four, nine and three, everybody's like, you suck, you know. So I, I don't know how good of a deal that is right now. And that's why I think they'll get a guy who knows the region well, has been successful at Southern Miss, had a team go 12-2 and two there. He's had uh, the best three-year run at North Carolina since Mac Brown when he was there before he got the Texas job. So I don't think Larry, Larry Fedora is chopped liver. He's just not a sexy name. Number nine, Jim Mora will be fired as UCLA football coach and replaced by former Oregon coach Chip Kelly. This is where you, I think you see Chip Kelly go is the Pac-12. And here's why. You look at USC with Clay Helton, and you just you, you doubt whether he's a transformational coach. You have Willie Taggart coming into Oregon, and I think Willie Taggart will have a nice bounce-back year in his first year. Um, but you wonder about the fit there. He's also a guy not from that part of the country. you got to wonder Dave, how many more years David Shaw goes at Stanford. What I'm pointing out here is there's massive room for a program like UCLA to reassert itself in this league. And where Chip Kelly had most of his recruiting success for Oregon was where? Exactly. California. So it's a perfect situation. Plus, you're in the position. Chris Peterson is now rebuilding Washington into what it was when we were kids. But that's the other division. All right, so if you're Chip Kelly, Arizona and Arizona State could both be making coaching changes this year. you got to think if you're Chip Kelly, you're thinking going up against Clay Helton every year, a hell of a lot different than going up against Pete Carroll. And Washington and Stanford are in the other division. So that's why I think he ends up there. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to this, but uh, what are the academic standard differences at Oregon versus UCLA as well? Maybe it's not going to be as cut and dried as what he did with California talent at Oregon. Um, but I do think that that is a much better fit, and you're right. Um, let's go to number 10. Notre Dame will rebound this season under Brian Kelly, and then he will leave to pursue a job in the NFL. Here's what we're getting to this year's triple E, okay, as you like to put it. Last year, Notre Dame lost – Five games, five of their eight losses were games where they scored at least 28 points. Four of their losses were by uh, six points or, or no, seven of their eight losses they scored 35 point, 28 points or more. And the only one they did not was the was the monsoon at the hurricane at NC State. Five of those losses were by a touchdown or less. Four of those losses were by a field goal or less. They're going to bounce back. They were much better than their record last year. Now, I'm not saying they were great, but in an average year, they literally had every, every game that came down to two or three plays for Notre Dame, except for the Miami game last year, they lost every other one. That doesn't. You've read enough Phil Steeles to know that doesn't happen two years in a row. They're going to win their share of those games. Now, I don't think they're a 9- or 10-win team, but I think they'll win 7 or 8. I think they'll be very explosive on offense. They've got one of the best offensive lines in college football. And then, you know, there's been a lot of murmuring about Brian Kelly in the NFL the last few years. 
I think he'll rehabilitate himself this year and then realize that the Notre Dame job is not what it used to be. It's just, it, it doesn't have as much of a Catholic identity as it used to, and the country doesn't have the religious identity that it used to. So it doesn't have that natural identity politic built into its recruiting that it had for so many decades. It's, it's a school where as long as it remains an independent and the boosters that fund its $11 billion endowment want it to be, so as long as it remains an independent, it's basically a school where you're really only playing for one thing every year. And so once you lose a second game, you know, it's really hard to keep a school and keep a. I think that that's one of the reasons why, John, they have not won double digit games in 24 seasons, because it's a, the way they're positioned. If you lose a second game, your team's like, well, we guess we're done. You know what I'm saying? They're done. There's no conference championship or something else to reemerge your team on. Your your season's essentially over right. at that point. And and it was one thing to have that when Penn State was an independent, and Florida State was, and Miami was, and all these other schools were that were that were on your level. But when you're the only brand on your level that still buries carries that burden, that is a hell of a burden for one school to carry. So I think you'll see Brian Kelly rehab his image this year. And then check out. Next up, Bob Stoops will turn down Notre Dame and all other college coaching overtures. The Irish will hire Maryland's DJ Durkin instead. The reason I'm going with DJ Durkin is because the trend we are seeing in college football is hiring young, hot names. That's the trend we're seeing across the board. In DJ Durkin, um, you have a guy who, when he was at Florida, was Rivals National Recruiter of the Year as a defensive coordinator, did a phenomenal job in one year as a defensive coordinator at Michigan. What has been the bane in Notre Dame's existence since the Manti Teo teams? They can't stop anybody. And he's a young, dynamic guy who now has ties to two of the most fertile recruiting regions in the country, and that's Florida from his time in Gainesville and now the DMV from his two years in Maryland. And so if you can do legit top 25 classes two years in a row at Maryland, what, and you are the national recruiter of the year at Florida, I think that now helps the Irish from a recruiting standpoint. And I think that's the profile of a coach that they will get. Next up, after losing four games in a season, only once from 69-01, to Nebraska will lose at least four games for the 14th consecutive season. I do agree with that. That's just an amazing stat. It is. I, I just—it's an amazing stat. It is. I mean, the, the sixty-nine to one thing was amazing, and uh, probably won't happen to them again. But yeah, four, this would be fourteen in a row. Um, Alabama and Washington will be the only repeat Power Five conference champions. Last year, from the Big Ten, you had Penn State. Uh, Alabama was from the SEC, and from the ACC was Clemson. Um, so, and then the Big 12 was Oklahoma. You already said you didn't think Oklahoma would play in the inaugural championship game. You don't see Penn State repeating, and you don't see Clemson repeating. No, I don't. And you remember last year I was really high on LSU all off season until I went to do my official predictions. And a couple things that I, I didn't like about, you know, Brandon Harris at quarterback, and it made me change what I had was thinking, remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, Washington is that team for me this year. At first, I took a look at the guys they lost early, and I thought, well, you know, I take a step back. But when I really started breaking down who has what coming back, um, Washington has either an All-American 
or all conference player returning on every single unit, offensive and defensively, except for one in the secondary. But they do at linebacker and Azeem Victor. They do in Vita Vete and, and uh, uh, Greg Gaines in defensive line. They've got a couple guys in the offensive line. Um, Dante Pettis, the other receiver, got overshadowed by John Ross. He caught 90 balls last year. He's an all-Pac-12 candidate. Miles Gaskins, a back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher. Jake Browning was the most efficient passer and quarterback in college football until the, uh, the, the shoulder injury at the end of the year. So they've got a lot of guys back, a lot. And, and what I like about Washington, too, as I got more to thinking about this, this is a perfect situation for Chris Peterson because he's not Mr. Media Blitz guy to begin with. So you kind of wondered how would he handle Washington having its most preseason expectations, you know, so, since you and I were in college probably. But nobody's talking about them. Everybody's talking. It's it's all USC, USC, USC. For a guy like Chris Peterson that loves the chip on the shoulder, loves the underdog, it's hard to go have the season they had last year, bring a bunch of these guys back and be an underdog. But, John, they kind of are. Everybody's talking about USC. That is the perfect setup situation for Washington. Next up, you say Jim Harbaugh will get his first win over Urban Meyer on November 25th. Now, I'll let you talk about that, but I, I just looked something up in the interim after reading and looking ahead one spot on your list. Ohio State's beat Michigan five straight years. Ohio State has beaten Michigan 11 of the last 12 meetings. The, mm-hmm. la- the last time Michigan beat an Ohio State team that had a better than 500 record heading into the game was in 2003. And Ohio State has won, gosh, 13 of the last 15 times. I did not realize it had been that one-sided. And the last better than 500 Ohio State team Michigan had beaten was in 2003. Well, it's been a series of streaks. I remember that 03 game very well. Ohio State was defending national champions, number two in the country, uh, came into the big house. Michigan pulled the upset. That was actually Michigan's last undisputed, unshared Big Ten championship. They then shared it with Iowa again the next year. And then that now, and that has been Michigan's last Big Ten title. In fact, this is Michigan's longest championship drought in the Big Ten um, since um, in in at least a half, in about a half century. It's at least 50 years. So you're not telling me anything I don't know. I've lived all those games. (laughs) I've lived all those years. I can tell you when we're down in every single one of those suckers. So I know it very, very well. And I'm reminded of something Hayden Fry said. I think it was when they beat Iowa State 13th or 14th time in a row. It was the, a year or two before Iowa State snapped the straight. And, and Hayden said after the game, he said, uh, you know, every year we beat these guys, it just increases the odds that they're going to get, get us next year. And I think this is a series that has been one of streaks. And it's and the reason it's been one of streaks is because it's been rare that both programs have had transformational coaches simultaneously. The closest it's really come to 
was the Earl Bruce Bo Schembechler years. I think Bruce actually had a one-game lead on Schembechler, and they went back and forth. But even in the ten-year war, uh, which was down the you know towards the end of Woody's time at Ohio State, even then, Ohio State won the Michigan won the first one. Ohio State won the next three. And then Michigan won the last three, and Ohio State didn't score an offensive touchdown in Woody's last three games against Michigan. So we know it's been a series of streaks. Most of our podcast listeners will remember John Cooper was two ten and one against Michigan, and now we're seeing that have has, that has turned around. So to me, this is just a matter of math. When you have rivals like this, but particularly two schools with head coaches of the caliber of Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh, the odds that one of them is just going to keep beating the other guy, not high. And that's why I'm just going to make this prediction every year until it eventually happens. It's because the math says it will. It has been a streaky series. Michigan won the first 15 meetings beginning in 1897 up to 1918, either won or tied. They did not lose. But since then... This has been the uh, 11 of 12 wins for Ohio State has been the most lopsided mm-hmm. streak at any point in time. So we shall see. Um, next up. And since that, the series, by the way, is, is, is pretty much 50-50 since that initial run by Michigan. But it's odd how it gets to 50-50. One team will win three, four, five, six in a row. Then the other team will. It's rarely been a back and forth that has not all, that has not happened a lot in the series since that first fifteen games. If you throw those out, uh, Michigan has won forty eight times, uh, won forty five times rather, lost forty eight, and four ties. So you're right; it's nearly fifty yeah. fifty in ninety seven games. So um, next up for the fourteenth consecutive season, the Miami Hurricanes will not win double digit games in the regular season. So if we had gone back and talked to younger John and younger me 15 years ago and said, hey, guys, this, this, this trend will be starting soon, we would have given drug testing yeah. to each one of our younger selves for even predicting that that might happen three years in a row, let alone 13. I'm going to say this, though. I, I, to me, the two teams, you, if you want to get them, get them this year are Michigan and Miami. The way Rick is recruited, it was very well last year. The class he's bringing in right now for 2018 is bananas. They started an all-freshman linebacker core last year that was tremendous. I think de- the defensive line guys they have now are the closest they, they, that they were to when they were the U back in the day. So I don't think I, – I, 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 I highly doubt I will be – including this prediction in next year's crystal ball. And I wouldn't be shocked if I got this one wrong this year. Next up, Heisman Trophy finalists will be in alphabetical order Saquon Barkley of Penn State, JT Barrett of Ohio State, Jake Browning, Washington, Lamar Jackson, Louisville, and Mason Rudolph, Oklahoma State. No Sam Darnell. The reason why I don't think we're going to see Sam Darnold is I, I think, one, you'll see defense adjust to him. Two, I, I think Jake Browning's just going to have a monster year. I, I like the angle of Washington being overlooked. I like, I like giving Chris Peterson the underdog angle to play an entire offseason, particularly with a team that accomplished what they did last year, and to hand them that motivation 
And I, I, we just forget because of how Jake Browning looked the last couple of weeks of the year when that, when that shoulder was bad and he had to go up against Alabama with a bad wing. We forget this guy was putting up video game numbers until around the 1st of November. And, I, and now he's going into his third full year as a starter. I think he's going to have a monster year. Number 17, Mason Rudolph will be the first Oklahoma State player to win the Heisman Trophy since Barry Sanders. That's a, that's, I, that's a going out on a limb. Well, if you look at what the trend of Heisman Trophy winners has been, though, the guy who's everybody's hyped in the preseason, when was the last time that guy won it? Lamar Jackson wasn't that guy last year. Robert Griffin III wasn't that guy. I mean, this has been the trend in college football is the – is it is that the guy that everybody hands the award to in August, or you know, used to joke that Denard Robinson was your annual September Heisman Trophy winner? Okay, that guy never that you know that, that it's the trend has been somebody who is considered a dark horse ends up winning the award. That has been the trend the last few years, and Rudolph fits that trend. He's in a league where they don't play a lot of defense. Um, he's coming back with among one of the best wide receiver cores in college football. He's got a thousand yard rusher behind him. His team doesn't play that great a defense, so he's going to get plenty of chances. I think he's going to have a monster season, and I think it's going to be a monster season for Oklahoma State. Yeah, it it, it can really help you, like a Robert Griffin the third, to have one of those games early in the season that captures everyone's imagination. We haven't seen football for a long time. And to put up mm-hmm. monster numbers on a big stage. Oklahoma State, right out of the chute, their opener, home against Tulsa at South Alabama. And then, you know, Saturday, September 16th at Pittsburgh. That's an 11 o'clock game. So I don't know that he has an opportunity to go steal the highlight reel early on. It would need to be a, uh, a consistent, methodical week-to-week effort out of Rudolph to win it. Well, and you go back to the guy from Oklahoma State, the only other guy from Oklahoma State to win it, what did he do? He did Just it every 250 week. yards every single yeah, week. He did it That's every what he did? week. Um, all three service academies will qualify for bowl games for the second year in a row. Yeah, and it's been a long time. In fact, I was trying to go back and figure out when the last time that had happened, and I couldn't find the year. So I'm not sure that it has. Um, and what I love about that too is they're all running the triple option, which I just I love watching that style of football. And um, last year they got it done. And frankly, I, I was just feeling kind of patriotic, so I was trying to find a good patriotic angle to throw in there. So yeah, there deep go. deep down, you wish Iowa State had that as their gimmick. I know you do. Well, you know, I tried to convince, and I made a I mean, I made a personal individual appeal, not just over the radio. I mean, I picked up a phone. I called Jamie Pollard and urged him instead of Gene Chizik, who we didn't even know he was even interviewing. Most of us thought Brian Kelly from Central Michigan was going to get the job. But I wanted him to hire Paul Johnson at Navy and bring the triple option offense in, come up with a niche. And I tried to make the case, hey, this is essentially the offense Nebraska ran. And -hmm. they gave up that brand. We We can take that brand. We can be a matchup nightmare week in and week out. But they hired uh, Gene Chizik instead. So, and Paul Johnson went to Georgia Tech, 
and has had a lot of success there, has he not? Uh, they certainly have. Um, next up, after last year's banner season for the ACC, Florida State will be the only team in the league to win double-digit games in the regular season. Yeah, I think that um, there's some really good defensive teams. NC State's got a terrific defense. This will, this could very well be the best defense Dabo Sweeney has had. But, I mean, Clemson State is tough. Um North Carolina State's schedule is tough. You know, they start off the year with a sneaky, tough non-conference game against South Carolina. And remember that North Carolina team that 11 games a couple of years ago? Well, that team lost to South Carolina in the opening part of the year. It is not easy for ACC teams to beat SEC teams in the non-conference. Clemson's got to host Auburn at the early in the year, and I think they're going to lose that game. Um, you know, Louisville has Lamar Jackson back, um, but not much else. Although that's a pretty good place to start. But I think a lot of these teams have, in, in Louisville's case, it's it's defense. Clemson's case, it's quarterback. And really none of the young guys looked impressive in the spring. And so that, that strikes me as a league that looks a little bit like the SEC looked last year, where you're not really sure who's the second-place team in the league. Those, guys have, those teams have a lot of talent, but they have some serious question marks too. Next up. The results of the top five early non-conference games will be Alabama over Florida State. I'll let you just talk about them one by one. We'll keep going through them. These two teams are evenly matched. I know Nick Saban has a history of, of, of playing in these early Jerry World games and naming the score. Florida State this year is by far the best team he's played in any of these games. He's been at Alabama. The problem I have with Florida State is they match up with Alabama absolutely everywhere except maybe where it counts the most. And I just don't think – their offensive line just darn near got DeAndre Francois killed last year. And I, I don't know that the best time to rehabilitate your offensive line is an opener against Alabama, John. Yeah. <laughs> there are better alternatives than that. Um, next yes. up, Ohio State over Oklahoma. Just better players, better coaching staff, playing at home. Um I think that's a tall drink of water for Lincoln Riley, although his birthday is that week. He's going to turn the ripe old age of 34. So maybe his team will respond by giving him a big win. But I I just think that's a tough environment for a guy being a head coach at any level for only the second time in his career. And he goes up against Urban Meyer at night. That Ohio State team in that environment, yikes. 34, and you're the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Texas over USC. This is my coming out party right here. And I think Texas is better than USC at the line of scrimmage. I think Tom Herman's a better coach than Clay Helton. A lot of people don't know this, but Herman has a lot of California ties. And there was a lot of talk about him midseason when Clay Helton was gone that maybe the dark horse for his services, as everybody was talking about Texas and LSU, maybe the dark horse for his services might be California because him and his wife both have ties to that part uh, of the country. And I, I, I think that this will be one of the shocking results of the non-conference when Texas goes in there and wins that game. Michigan over Florida, that is a, that's an upset. Well, the spread right now, I think, is Michigan's actually favored by three or five, depending on where you look. Really? Well, I, wouldn't have, I would not have imagined that. I think the problem Florida has here 
is I think as the season goes on, the addition of Malik Zaire will be pretty big for them. But I don't know. You know, it's not the same for Jake Rudock coming into Michigan in June because it was the same system he ran, the exact same offense, just with better players around him, the same style of offense. Florida runs a West Coast offense. By the way, Jake Rudock played a lot of good football. Malik Zaire's barely played any football. We saw him one game in the Music City Bowl at the end of his redshirt freshman year when no one had any film on him at all, and so he caught LSU by surprise. The next year in 2015, um, you know, he's graded against Texas in the opener. By the way, that was the worst Texas defense in school history. Eight of their 12 opponents scored at least 30 points against them that year. The next week against Virginia, who's not very good, they go on the road. The team, Notre Dame, is losing in the third quarter when, when Zaire gets uh, knocked out of the game. This kid named Deshaun, Ka- Deshaun Kaiser comes off the bench and wins it. And that was it. That's Malik Zaire's career. You know, so everybody's acting like this guy's Roy freaking Hobbs. Now, I think he's got some physical ability. I think he's better than anybody they have on campus right now. But, you know, they run a West Coast offense there. And the offensive coordinator at Florida is this guy named Doug Nussmeyer. And I know a little bit about him. Because you know where he was before he got the job at Florida? Michigan. He was the offensive coordinator Brady Hoke brought in his last year that was going to save Devin Gardner and save Brady's job, and we know how that turned out. Well, Malik Zaire and Devin Gardner, about the only difference you know those two guys is one of them's left-handed. So I don't, I, 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 I'm guessing by the, by the time we get into the middle of the season, they will have figured out how to tailor their offense to Malik Zaire. I'm not sure they're going to figure that out in about four weeks, especially when you're playing Dr. Blitz, Don Brown, maybe the best defensive coordinator in college football. Also, I'd be a lot more worried about that game if we were playing them at the end of September, at the end of the non-conference season. Schematically, though, I think that's a very tough matchup for Florida because of the quarterback situation. Last of the five games, Auburn over Clemson. I, I just think it's going to be Jared Stidham. I think Jared Stidham's going to be maybe the most transformational player in college football this year. Hmm. I think we, I think Jared Stidham was arguably the best high school quarterback in the country two years ago. He was sensational as a freshman. This is not Jeremy Johnson, who we saw play one half of a, of a game when Nick Marshall was suspended against Arkansas and then was a spring football hero. We have seen Jared Stidham play actual football. And I, I think he's going to completely transform the, uh, the the Auburn Tigers. And I think that game, remember Clemson, you know, Clemson, by the way, had half of their wins last year, John, were by six points or less with Deshaun Watson, hmm. with Mike Williams, right. with Artavius Scott, with Wayne Gallman. Now, that, one of those was at Auburn last year. So I, I think a huge advantage for Auburn with Stinnamon quarterback early in the year, and I think that's why they win that game. All right, next up, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, and Colorado will begin the season ranked in the top 25, but will not finish there. Yeah, I I think there's a chance I'm going to be wrong about Virginia Tech and Tennessee, but I don't think there's too many teams that are that overrated this preseason because I think it's that wide open. So I'm playing the odds on those two teams – um, being somewhere around eight and four and seven and five and not making it. But normally, when I put this feature in and I put this feature that we're doing now in every year, normally I have to choose one or two teams to leave off. 
this year I had to really stretch for a couple of teams that I thought were definitely going to be overrated because I just think it's that wide open. Notre Dame, NC State, and Toledo won't be ranked in the preseason top 25, but will finish there. I think Notre Dame will reverse their record of a year ago. Um, I'm, I think NC State has a terrific defense. And, you know, Toledo is a team that I think, other than a game they play at Miami, will be favored in their other 11 games. I think they're clearly the class of the MAC. Uh, Logan Whiteside, back at quarterback, led the nation in touchdown passes a year ago. I know Kareem Hunt for them was a stud running back, but the guy they get the two guys that they are bringing back that were behind him last year. One of them is a former thousand-yard rusher, and the other guy has averaged over seven yards a carry for his career. So I think they'll be okay. So I, I think Toledo, if South Florida is not your, uh, if if you're looking for this year's Western Michigan Bay. Because I think South Florida is the class of the group of five teams easily. But if you're looking for who could be this year's Western Michigan, look at Toledo. Next up, the following first-year coaches will lead their teams to bowl games this season. Tom Allen, Indiana. Major Applewhite, Houston. P.J. Fleck, Minnesota. Tom Herman at Texas. Lane Kiffin, Florida Atlantic. Tim Lester, Western Michigan. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Mike Sanford, Western Kentucky. Charlie Strong at South Florida. And Willie Taggart at Oregon. Do any of those surprise you? No. That's what I was thinking as I was reading through them because they were – you. I would say a good number of them are taking over for programs and or teams that did really well last year um, or have done well enough historically or in the case of P.J. Fleck, I think there's enough material left over and maybe he catches a little lightning in a bottle and you know goes 7-5 and five or gets the exclusion at 6-6. Six and six. There you go. Number 24, liquidate on these teams that will win at least two fewer games than they did last season. Clemson, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Temple, Vandy, Wake Forest, Western Kentucky, and Western Michigan. The last two, the Western directional schools, I don't think there's any question about it. Colorado, they definitely caught lightning in a bottle last year. Clemson loses a lot. I think it's a pretty solid list. Yeah, I think Colorado is the best underbet on the board in all of Las Vegas's preseason win totals. Refresh my memory. What are they, around eight? Yeah, they're seven and a half, I think, is what yeah, they are. Yeah, I think that's a good play. Um, the last of Steve's crystal ball predictions for 2017. Invest in these teams that will win at least two more games than they won last season. Auburn, Florida Atlantic, Iowa State, NC State, Northwestern, Northern Illinois, Notre Dame, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, and Texas. Your thoughts on that list? Yeah, I mean, a lot of of folks in and around Iowa, and even elsewhere, really excited about Matt Campbell. I'm not, you know, to me, Iowa State is just, um, I'm not sure what to expect other than I think more scoring, more points. Um, starting out the season with you know your quarterback situation established and a quarterback that can sling the ball as good as any quarterback you've had there in a long time, but maybe a gunslinger. Auburn, you know they've got the trigger man. Don't really know enough about Florida Atlantic, Northwestern. Definitely could see a bounce back their year for them. Notre Dame, you already laid out the um, you know the close losses. It sounds a lot like Iowa's 2001 season mm-hmm. before they turned it around in 02. Uh, Oregon, you just have to figure they can't be that down that much for a couple of years in a row. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good list. 
you know, when we get to my full preview here in another week or two, I can't recall. I'm, maybe I've done it before. I got three Iowa State players on my all Big 12 team. I'm not sure I've ever had that. Alan Lazard. Lazard, Campos, and Cotton Moya. Hmm. Wow. See, we are in the month of July now, and we are in the same month that media days for every I know. conference will take place. A week from Monday, the SEC kicks it off. That's insane. It does, but you know they like, they like to be first, so they will be. A week from Monday, the SEC kicks it off. Uh, the Big Ten, I think, is July 24th. Um, Michigan, I don't know when Iowa opens, but I know Michigan opens camp on the 31st for 2017. Well, without, without two days, everybody has to push it up a little bit. Yeah, so NFL training camps will be underway here in about uh, three and a half, four weeks. And, and everyone will all 32 teams will be open by the time we get to the end of this month so i'm excited man i'm we've got uh noah went and bought the uh the last version of ncaa football from 2014 so we're gonna wait a few weeks here in july just like we used to do back in the day when you got that game like july 20th every year when it came out right so then you go download the rosters so we're gonna go get the uh, rosters off of reddit or somewhere online um, here in a few weeks, kicking the old uh, you know dynasty mode. I'm pretty psyched. I can't wait. I'm going to do some more. Um, I'm, I'm going to look for some opportunities myself to do some more um, sports stuff. We've got some exciting things we're working on that I'm hoping we'll be able to announce here in the next couple of weeks. So I'm pretty pumped up. If yeah. no other reason, I, this is cathartic to me. I mean, I, I woke up today, John, to go to church where I was given the message this morning. And I go online to get caught up on what's going on in the world. And the President of the United States tweets out a gif of him from WrestleMania a few years ago, fake body slamming somebody. Except the, the, the person he body slammed in that old WrestleMania, he replaced their head with a CNN logo. Yeah, I think that was Vince McMahon. That, that's, my, that's, what, that's what's become... Remember when remember remember when I left sports behind because I just was much more serious about my faith now and I I just wasn't as passionate about it and it was time to talk about more serious subject matter. Remember that? Yep. Well apparently that time has passed, John. This is what we do now. <laughs> Dude, I've been saying it for years. We are in the we we have caught up to fiction. We are in the era of the running man movie. That's just the world we live in. That's it's it. idiocracy. This is this is pure idiocracy stuff. I mean, just pure. It, Mike Judge. If our audience has never seen that film, and no one under the age of twenty-one should, okay, it is vulgar, vile, crass, profane. But much like Borat, which is the same, when it's not being those things, it's actually brilliant social commentary. And there is brilliant social commentary in Mike Judge's idiocracy. It is nowhere near the movie. It's not in the same class as Office Space, which is one of the classics of the 1990s. But it is underrated. It is prophetic. And it is exactly what my day job um, has become. As my buddy Ben Shapiro put it on Twitter the other day, every night I go to bed thinking, tomorrow can't be this dumb. And then tomorrow arrives, and I thought, yesterday, last night wasn't, or yesterday wasn't so bad. That's what it's like doing what I'm doing now. 
So I, I, I need a break, man. I need a break. Because for me, it is not it is not, you know, getting called every name in the book um, by the people I'm trying to defeat in the arena of ideas. You know me. I get I, that charges my batteries. The dumbness, the stupidity, the, the making enemies for no constructive reasons. Yeah, plain and traffic. The, the, yeah, yeah. Just, just stand. It, it, right now, here, let me give you an analogy of what my job truly is, man. Since I'm guessing 90% of the people listening to us are guys. Imagine your wife sends you a text and says, I'm ovulating. And you decide, you know what, I'm going to go outside and masturbate in the yard. And then I'm going to wonder, damn, why isn't my wife pregnant? That's what my day job is. That's what it is. It, it, there's nothing. It's about nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing gets accomplished. But there's a lot of yell. There's more yelling, more screaming, more name calling, more visceral than I've ever experienced in my career on both sides for essentially nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. You know, if we're going to rip each other's throats out, let's at least accomplish something we actually, one of us actually cares about, as opposed to, yeah, stuck it to your guy on scene. It's freaking pro wrestling. That's ex- There's a reason why I told you six months ago we elected Bobby the Brain Heated in president. That's where we're at. You know, and so to me, this is catharsis. I, I, I need a break, man. I need a download time. And at this point, frankly, sports might have more meaning. Might, there might be people more serious about that subject matter in the future of the country. Oh, wait, sorry. you, uh, My mind trailed. You lost me at ovulating. Uh, <laughs> with that... It's been a while since either you and I have gotten that text message from our wives. We will put a bow on this installment of the HN Podcast. <laughs> for Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs>